Content warning. This episode contains sensitive information related to sexual abuse. Welcome to the Relatively Nobody podcast. Hi, I'm Gia. And I'm Zuleika. And we are Relatively Nobody. Hello. Hi. So this is really exciting because I get to finally interview you for I Am You. I've only been wanting to do that for like five years. So this is exciting. <laughs> I'm so excited. I am. Yeah, I, um, when I thought of this project, I just, I was like, obviously you were the first person that I thought of to interview because you're my favorite human ever. And so I think you need uh, to check yourself for the reasons <laughs> why, but <laughs> joking. <laughs> no, no shame, blame game. That's what Tansy says all the time, right? No shame, blame game I on yourself it. or others. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. So, um, I'm so excited to interview you today and, um, I haven't interviewed someone in a few years, so it's uh, feeling like definitely different. Like, I feel like you definitely take on the interviewer um, role in our episodes, which I love because your inner journalist comes out and I love watching it. Um, so, yeah, it'll be fun to to reverse roles right now. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of fun being on this end, although... I'll say I'm, you know, I'll just admit from the get-go, I have a really hard time being the interviewee. Mm -hmm. I am so much more comfortable as an interviewer. Mm -hmm. And because of that, I I know it's going to ask me to do the vulnerability work that I'm so not, like, comfortable doing. But it's okay. I'm ready. Yeah. I mean, you saw me during our episode, during my episode. It was just lots of tears. <laughs> so... Yeah, get ready. Get ready. Um, and I like what you were saying before we started recording about like practicing radical openness and um, and just like how this is an exercise in that and how when we want to like build community, we want to be radically open with one another. Um, and this is like a great like safe space to do that, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it is. And I, um, so I'm just kind of scanning my body and, you know, kind of remaining as grounded as I can, because I know the rest of me is going to feel different sensations, mm -hmm. you know, with the questions. And it's like, oh, I have to remember to be really embodied when doing this, because mm -hmm. I can be really heady sometimes. So, yeah, I feel you on that. Yeah. I mean, I think we can all yeah. be pretty heady. Right. <laughs> Hashtag relatable. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's start. The, the starting point's pretty pretty easy. How are you doing? How's your heart? Um, I'm I'm doing okay. Um you know, I try not to speak in terms of absolutes. So okay gives me room to feel 
right now in this moment, I feel emotionally pretty uplifted. That's mostly because I'm hanging out with you and that's pretty much the flavor of our like dynamic. It's me being completely stupid and, um, and you too. (laughs) So there's a lot of joy and laughter. And so I feel very uplifted and we get to create and that makes me feel really exuberant and excited. And it's filled with a lot of flow uh, and I feel very energized. Um, yeah, that's like the micro level. And then the macro level, it's like still a weight, uh, you know, and my awareness is like tuned into that. It's just because, you know, that upon recording, we have a, a new administration coming, right? And so that day was very hopeful just because of that Saturday morning, like it's confirmed Joe Biden mm-hmm. and Kamala Harris will be the new president and vice president. That day was joyous. There was a lot of joy for filled with hope. You know, it was like this hope driven, like, okay, we actually did this. This was a huge win. But then it's like, but in reality, there's still so much to do. And so it's holding that and not trying to be kind of blindsided by this whole notion that, okay, we got a new presidency and so many people are just like, it's done. So I'm feeling that way of like, okay, it's not done. Mm-mm. We have work to do and... So I'm I'm feeling that still that collective weight and COVID fatigue, just like pandemic fatigue, coping fatigue, like it's getting colder and the holidays are coming up. And I was supposed to be in England um, giving my mom a hug, you know, and it's like, so there's a lot of that still. So mm-hmm. yeah, I'm doing okay. That's why okay fits that because it's like, totally. Yeah. Right. And my heart, yeah. but in this moment, my heart feels uplifted. Oh, I love that. I love, I love the nuance of like being. Yeah. <laughs> it's I mean, beautiful. I feel like it's also just so universal, but mm-hmm. yeah. And I love everything that you had to say and thanks for just like keeping it real. I appreciate that. You model it so well for <laughs> me, so thank you um so what's something that uh you're struggling with right now i feel like so much of what i said (laughs) right it's just i could i could just basically rehash that Mm -hmm. um you know i could do micro macro level again like uh yeah i have on a, on a very personal note and to get very real about my, my, my physical body, I got diagnosed with, it sounds so, it sounds so serious, diagnosed, right? Oh my God. (laughs) I got diagnosed with piriformis syndrome, which I find hilarious. It's like my glute muscle, my glute muscles that that there's like this diagonal, I'm probably getting this wrong. And even though I've done physiology and I know anatomy really well, I'm not going to say this with any grace. If anybody's listening and knows that I'm wrong. Good. Have a good laugh at me. It's funny. It's also okay. (laughs) Yeah. I I don't care. I'm admitting that I'm just going to make mistakes. Um, And they're like these diagonal muscles and piriformis syndrome is like when they're hyperactivated, I guess. So my, 
right butt cheek is um <laughs> it's spasming <laughs> and it's like taking my attention I'm like oh look at that there it goes again mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm struggling with that right now because it doesn't feel comfortable um yeah yeah and I've had to give up exercise um mm-hmm. in the way that I normally do it because I normally love working out because I it, it's my mental health like mm-hmm. this is how I feel strong and where I get to kind of take out certain emotions and kind of play with being in motion and, mm-hmm. and push myself because I feel like if I can push myself in certain ways, I feel stronger. Mm-hmm. I don't really know if I'm saying that with, with any clarity, but it's, it's well, you feel like it often translates just not to put words in your mouth, but the way that you've described it to me before is that it often translates your physical strength translates to like emotional strength. So if you're able to like, you know, lift something or do something that's really hard physically, then you're, you know, that you're able to do a really hard thing emotionally also. Yeah. Yeah. It actually has always been like that for me. It's, it's been, if I have to do hard things emotionally, I I have to like, it has to be embodied as well. My body has to be able to push it. I, yeah, it's a great translation. It's, it's, uh, you know, on the mat, off the mat was the, Mm -hmm. you know, is the stupid term that I really don't love using, but I'm (laughs) using it now. Um, so that's bumming me out, you know? Um, I, and I, I really am. I'm missing travel. I'm missing adventure. I'm missing, um, my freedom, my physical freedom, right? My physical, like, being able to, as we all are, that's so collective right now. So I'm not taking ownership of that. I'm just relating to the the wider collective through that. Like it sucks right now mm-hmm. for all of us. And I want to dance barefoot on the grass and like just be my weird self. Um, and also you're allowed to like own that for your own personal like well-being right now. You're just feeling really like, like you don't have that freedom and that's okay. Even if it's a universal thing that we might all be feeling, it's also okay that it's like a personal thing that you are experiencing right now and how difficult that is given how much of like a, a like person you are that like loves to be free and to travel and to wander. Mm-hmm. And it's been something that's been there for a long time. Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for giving me permission. I don't do a very good job at that myself. I'm always like, well, I feel it, but everybody else does too, you know, <laughs> and I guess it doesn't matter, you know, and I do that to myself a lot. So thank you for reminding me that it's okay for me to mm-hmm. own that that's something I'm personally feeling and I'm feeling, I am feeling that struggle for sure. And, you know, and, and being very radically open and honest, there are moments because, and I don't know if all activists feel like this at times, you know, it, you can have like a lot of burnout from activism and that's why, you know, the practice is so important because it, it's just this like wisdom based deepening of like, okay, I'm feeling that kind of fatigue and burnout from even using my voice or trying to stand up for equity and all the right things. And sometimes I'm just like, fuck it. I just want to be really ignorant. I just want to be ignorant and like, eat Cheetos or something I would never do. <laughs> I would never do it. But I'm like, can't I just be like that? Is, is, is that simplicity, like happiness? And I know it's not. 
but sometimes I feel like what's what's easy and I know that comfort that comfort so seductive it's like oh yeah that's just like be in like whatever makes us happy and comfortable but that's the problem that's the whole goddamn problem is that mm-hmm. we've been sold comfort and so just the layers of how colonized that is you know but it just feels like fighting an uphill battle at times sometimes I get tired and mm-hmm. I'm like I don't know if I want to do this today mm-hmm. so I take it day by day and actually moment by moment there are moments where I'm like it's okay if I have like that stupid fantasy because it's just part of the process mm-hmm. I actually never have the Cheeto fantasy I think they're gross I've never even tasted one hands down <laughs> I grew up in England we don't have Cheetos we have I can't even remember what the British version is what's it what's it's maybe I don't even know I don't, <laughs> I don't think that there is another version of Cheetos. No, there are like cheesy puff crisps. In oh, England. okay. Mm-hmm. I don't know what they are anymore because it's been so long. But whatever, yeah. I digress. <laughs> I, I allow myself to. I allow myself to just get out of of my like struggle by, you know, finding some place of ease in my head. And sometimes that's me being like, I'll just wish I was ignorant somehow Mm -hmm. so yeah I mean struggling that question is I mean a big question right there are again there's like a whole hierarchy here of like Mm -hmm. struggles it's like there are some big ones there are some small ones like you know my glute and I yeah I just Mm -hmm. (laughs) like I hope that's fine it's actually it's actually great in this moment so it's going in waves like everything Mm mm-hmm So what, um, what makes your heart feel tender? It's mm, a really beautiful question. Um, I mean, just beautiful acts of vulnerability and soft things like soft, the softness of, of childhood and babies, like my own kids, they regularly make my heart feel tender. Um, things that really make your heart feel tender, um, are my heart, I'm speaking to my own experience of those moments where you, f- I feel really loved or like the act of loving or the words. Cause you know, my, love language of words of affirmation so I love receiving words and that's the writer in me as well like I love writing words so when I receive beautiful messages or I read beautiful poetry or I read stories where there is so much heart in it I will find myself crying you know I'll just have tears streaming down my face like oh the power because it feels so powerful that it it's like this crazy dynamic between tender-heartedness and like fierce power like what power and like magnitude and words that can just make your heart just mush <laughs> it's yeah. so it's like yeah so I yeah that you know um anybody's truth like when somebody tells you their truth like their basic human needs like I just want to feel seen I just want to mm-hmm. be loved. I just want to hug. <laughs> it makes my heart feel tender. Um, 
I'm sure there's many other things in there, but that's what's coming up right now. Do you have a poem that you've read recently that like really, um, that you'd like to share that felt really uh, powerful to you? Not one that made me cry, but I have a lot of, I have a lot of poetry and I have a lot of, you know, even though I think I'm not sentimental, I'm really sentimental with written words. I keep all of my letters and have a, or even all my birthday cards. And I found, um, a while ago, not that recently, but a birthday card from my dad, who mm-hmm. I like to think, you know, doesn't love me that much. <laughs> like, you know, I, my dad didn't care about me, but then I read this birthday card that he picked out for me. I can't remember what age it was. Maybe it was my 21st birthday, but mm-hmm. I, I found the card recently. And it was like a picture of a girl that wherever she walked, she left flowers. And then my dad wrote this really tender hearted message in it. And I was like, bawling it. Like, Oh my God. Like that. I needed that. I needed that healing moment of like, Oh, my dad did show his heart. You know, he did say that that's how he feels about me. He thinks that I have, this ability to do that, at least in his eyes. And that was really powerful to me. So it was, again, that moment of vulnerability. I didn't remember it in real time the way I received it now. And that's why saving those cards and letters can be really beautiful because we can kind of exist in that moment again. And so it's like, oh, that was, that was, 21-year-old me, like, that's what my dad thought of me then. Like, wow, you know, and I'm way older now. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, it, that, that was, so it wasn't a poem, but that that's what came up for me right now. He's right, by the way. You do leave flowers everywhere you go. Oh, well, he didn't write that. The card said that, and he agreed that's okay. with it. But <laughs> just clarifying that. <laughs> Don't give him too much credit. It's fine. <laughs> the sentiment is true. <laughs> you do. Tough. Actually, you leave light everywhere you go. Oh, thank you. So, so speaking of healing, what does healing feel like for you? Wow. These are some loaded questions. Thanks. <laughs> and, and I love You them. came up with them. You came up with this framework. I don't even remember what I said and if I contributed, but I mean, we came up with them together. Um, maybe some think you came up with most of them. <laughs> Let's just take that ownership. Okay. This is, this is your brainchild. Um, what does healing feel like? I mean, that's so layered. Ah, healing is not linear for me. Damn. I mean, even just what I said about my dad. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I didn't even know that I had, like, those parent wounds, those wounds so deeply hit me. And when I turned 30, 
it kind of all came crumbling down and I compartmentalized my life far too much, uh, you know, to get really real. I, uh, and because I think this is a worthy thing to get real about. I don't get real because I want people to sympathize and be like, oh, I feel so bad for you because I, I give no shits about that. I've done lots of healing. <laughs> I give zero shits, you know, um, about people feeling sorry for me. It's like I, I was sexually abused in childhood and so many people have been and continue to be. So I think that the problem is huge and I have done a lot of work in myself and continue to, to heal. So when I think about healing, that's very much the first thing that comes to mind because you think that, oh, maybe this is an isolated thing that abuse works in this way, that there's one act of violation or abuse. And I was a child. So my wiring was learning how to cope with continuous abuse. I hit my mic, sorry. Um, Continuous abuse over several years in very early formative childhood. So my brain was wired to, in my specific story, to pretend like I was okay, because that's how I would cope with it. So I did. I And I still do that. There's so much of me that still pretends like I'm okay when hard things happen because my brain doesn't know how to figure that out. It it requires all of my energy to become aware of it and to dismantle that habit pattern that was like wired from childhood that, okay, this is how Gia is going to operate in the world. And so, and this is also very laid. I'm not going to get into all the layers because it takes like a whole year to talk about. But um, I realized that I never really processed how, how far reaching the abuse was in terms of my parents really mishandled it. And my dad, especially like I felt, and we, I mean, parent wounds are really real. I just never really put my awareness on it. And my you feel like your father should be the one to protect you. And I felt like he was leaving me out to, for the lions to eat me. So that's why, that is why that card, seeing that was very healing for me because I thought my dad felt nothing for me when I was doing the past processing. But at the time I didn't because I was avoiding it. I wasn't computing that there was an issue so when I turned 30 and I realized it, I I had a breakdown. I mean, I was like, it was a, a terrible time. There was so many extenuating circumstances that like pushed me into this breakdown. Plus like I was a mom, I had two kids and I was like, when the fuck did this happen? Like I love my kids, but I didn't want kids. I was not that not that person. So I was robotically moving through life, just like doing what was expected of me, even though there was this hyper aware, independent person inside. I thought maybe I didn't know better because I was taught. I didn't know better. Given all my history, I just kind of moved through life and I had this huge breakdown. And so my thirties have been very healing for me and healing is very embodied for me. Sometimes I don't choose what's happening. My body is 
cueing me that this is how I feel. Even when it comes to forgiveness, my body, there's this weird release in my body. And I know, oh, I've arrived at that point. It's like an absolutely embodied experience. And I know that's not what everybody will go through. So I never expect that that will be everybody else's experience. But for me, that's mine. And so doing a lot of the work with my parents has been hard. It's been very necessary and very healing. And so healing looks like hard conversations, owning up to it, bringing tremendous awareness to it, and a lot of body work, a lot of like checking in with your heart. I know my heart has been filled with stuck emotions. You know, my palpitations tell me that. So my body is pretty... Uh, it's pretty much the director, you know, I, I let it show me and I've become better at letting it show me. Um, and healing can also feel like on another, on another level hugs. Like, I mean, I'm a mush ball when, uh, I, am hugging, especially my little people or even my puppy. He's not a puppy. He's like almost four it's just sweetness and softness and cuteness. And even when I'm hugging you, when I'm hugging just like that, just heart to heart, like physicality is, is really beautiful. And it's hard because it's COVID and it's pandemic fatigue and there's no hugs, but at least I get them from my, from my babies. But yeah. Mm. I'm hugging you. Thanks hugging you, receiving it. Thank you for sharing. Seriously, and getting really vulnerable. And I'm just holding a lot of space here for all of it because it's hard and I'm so proud of you and I love you so much. And I just, I'm like giving you the biggest energetic hug ever. And my hand is on my heart and and just loving you because you're just so incredible and so wonderful and so luminescent. Oh, I'm receiving that all. And you're going to make me cry because I'm all right. (laughs) (laughs) Not that great. (laughs) I'm just being a dick, but that's just my thing. (laughs) (laughs) No, you're you're literally the person who's like saved my life so what do you mean you're only all right you're amazing (laughs) thank you Mm. the feeling is completely mutual Mm. this is definitely your question (laughs) this next one do you connect with your ancestors or heritage and if so how um yes i do Um, This has been recent work for me. I grew up hating my heritage. Uh, Growing up South Asian in England is very brutal. I mean, I'm speaking from my experience. I know you grew up South Asian in New Canaan, um, (laughs) which is basically as brutal. Um, 
there was a lot of violence uh, in being in a brown body. And I didn't connect with other South Asians. It just didn't feel like I had community there. And it's funny because, you know, your whole life is all about the community. Um, I have to say it in my Desi accent. <laughs> I have to sound like I my love parents. your Desi accent uh, the most. I do a pretty good one, I have to say, you know. It's excellent. Thank you to my father. Right? <laughs> um, but, you know, it's all about the community and it's about your brown community, right? It's like your other South Asian, Pakistani, Indian, Bangladeshi, and even Arab. Like we had tons of Middle Eastern friends and it was always about building out that community and that's it, they're your people because you shared like ge- geography. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. And I didn't get it. I didn't get it because I was like, these people suck. Not all of them. I still have some really good friends. So let me just caveat that with, because some of them will listen to this. And I'm like, no, I still love you. Otherwise I wouldn't know you. Let's be real. Of course. But uh, yeah, it was hard. It was hard because I didn't, even my journey through religion, you know, it's always been, I'm a crazy, curious person and I just can't think inside of an institutional box. So that, makes me a heretic and an outcast and like a bad human to them, not to myself. Um, but I, I always felt like an outsider, right? I was always like, ugh, I was always pigeonholed. I would walk the streets of Britain and people would be like, just whatever racial slur they like to say. And it was like, that was me. Like I remember getting on the bus one day and the bus driver just telling me who I was. I mean, it was, it was like that kind of on that scale, like, Oh, you're just a so-and-so girl. And I was like, what the fuck? Like I'm just trying to take the bus and fuck you. Yeah. It was, I mean, there was a lot of harshness right in, in that. And I, and I hate, I have, I felt so much shame. Oh my goodness. The shame, like Mm -hmm. skin crawling shame, like, ugh, I can't believe I'm this person. Like I wished I was white more than anything. I just wanted to be white all the time because of the white supremacy power dynamic. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I wish I was white. I wish I was white. So I tried to be more white. Mm-hmm. And now I'm not like that. Now I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> like, you know, then you open your eyes to white supremacy over the years. I was like, I'm not white. And my dad used to say it. My dad is an immigrant. He had to come. He came to the UK on a scholarship and he did his PhD. And my dad is, you know, he's not emotionally intelligent, but he's academically brilliant he is truly very academically like amazing and and you see that a lot academically brilliant people are emotionally unintelligent my dad fits that mold a hundred percent so his concern with liberation was education like obviously my parents grew up in post-partition post-colonial uh subcontinent right india pakistan split it was just like brutal and harsh and they have no confusion about their identity. I have all the confusion. I'm like, who the fuck am I? Not anymore. I did. 
it did have that confusion. And my dad used to say to us all the time, he, I mean, he's desi father central, right? He's like, you have to be straight A's or I'm going to beat the shit out of you. And not that he used to beat us. He used to slap us, but not beat. And he used to. That's pretty standard in Daisy households. Exactly. slapped. I'm like, it's okay. Like, that's just life. Like, it was fine. And he used to throw his slipper up the stairs at us and warn us by calling it a missile. Missile! Just launch that thing. It was hilarious. <laughs> best memory. Still ever. my favorite story about your dad. I mean, best memory ever. Missile. Miss, missile all the way. We used to duck. Like, why are you warning us? We can obviously move out of the way. Also, like, up the stairs as if there's any aim to yeah. any of your rooms. <laughs> he was just, like, blinding, like, just rage all over him. Like, these kids suck. I'm just going to throw shit at them. But his only objective was you better get straight A's because you should never let the white man tell you what to do. Mm-hmm. That was it. And I remember that sitting with me being like, wow. And now here I am. And it's like in the, in the, just the dawning of like, everybody's awakening to white supremacy because it's been there forever. But many of us people of color have felt it our whole lives. All of us, totally. let's, not, let's be real as immigrant families. And obviously just like, with everything going on, you can internalize white supremacy, which I've related to folks like that, or you can just see it for what it is. And so I didn't connect with my ancestry at all. I was like, Ugh. and then I realized, cause my dad's super into the family tree, that we have direct lineage on our Indian side to like yogis, right? It's like very Vedic, very, yoga lineage and then I was like oh no wonder I've been loving yoga for so long and like I've practiced yoga in a way that it's not like been the colonized practice of yoga here in in the western world you know it was like the swami would be sitting there with his like you know his little robe on not even a robe it's I don't even know how to translate this word, but it's like a dhoti. <laughs> I don't even want to say that. I'm like, oh my God. I don't even know how to translate the word, but it's like like a towel almost, but like cotton. Like a kilt? <laughs> it's, it's not even a kilt, you know? It's like, there is no word for it. It is what it is. And, you know, you'd be like collectively. A towel sense. covering. Yeah, whatever. Something. <laughs> a fig leaf, but longer. A big leaf for longer. That's not that's so misguided and misleading. I just just Google it. Just forget it, man. Just forget <laughs> I said that. Strike it from the record. Anyway, I connected very deeply with that. And I connect very deeply with like Buddhism. And as I've been practicing more, like I I feel very connected with like the female figures the female Buddhist figures through Vajrayana Buddhism. And I feel connected to the earth and I see ancestry in the earth. So when I feel a lack of support, I am that weirdo that you'll see who's hugging the tree because I'm connecting with my, with the ancestry. Those trees have been there for years. They've watched generations of humans. So I don't know why we think that the trees don't know anything. The trees know everything. They've heard it all. And that's mm-hmm. um, 
So they know what's going on. The water. I feel the energy of the water. So I connect with my ancestry through the bare earth, right? Through mm-hmm. nature, through that rhythm, and through in and inviting my ancestors through the understanding that I am connected to that and I am who I am and there needs to be no shame in that. It's been, that's been very healing. So like in coming full circle, ancestry practice, like hanging out with my ancestors has been very healing, very, very powerful work. And I also have this crazy other side, you know, I have a lot of um, Sufi like practice from my childhood and I feel very connected to ancestrally to Sufis especially Rumi and Shams I know Rumi's like a best-selling poet but I was before I even knew that I connected to Rumi and and Shams his his like love of his life um that just I still feel the depth of connection there so yeah do you have like an ancestry practice that um, you'd like to offer or share? Yeah. So I, I mean, I didn't really take, I, I think I've taken my cues and my um, practices from a lot of wise beings that participate in the practice, but I didn't follow any specific practice to a T. Perhaps that's not right, but it, I took my intuition and I just felt it. Um, I call, I just basically call upon my ancestors. I, I regularly do it and I feel a presence and Mm -hmm. I know from having spoken to other people, they feel like tremendous trepidation when admitting that they feel a presence. And I was like, yeah, I used to feel that way. I no longer feel that way, but I used to feel because I was I was afraid of it. I remember being, I had chronic insomnia from, I don't know, the ages of 15 to 17. I, I wouldn't sleep. I would sleep for maybe one, one and a half hours a night, if that. And I used to feel a lot, even through childhood. And it used to freak me out, which is a big reason for my insomnia, because I would feel like I didn't know how to handle the presence around me. By the way, I'm having this, illumination right now in real time <laughs> like oh, oh crap wait it's been happening my whole life um and now I'm not afraid because I feel like I understand that it's a goodness in the presence it felt very strong before and I think that we we can invite all kinds of energies to us and to be very intentional about inviting the right energy, the right guidance. You know, I am not like going to invite any Rasputin, Darth Vader, dark energy, dark side Mm -hmm. shit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. This is where you get to say, I ask the ancestors for guidance. Did I say ancestors? Like that Mm -mm. was weird. Okay. I (laughs) I ask the ancestors for guidance. Um, by invoking that it's just whether it's out loud I usually have a candle lit and I clear space and I'm often lying down 
when I do this so that I'm in a very solid, secure posture where I know that most of my body is against something supporting me. That's something that I, it's very much I do when I do the ancestor work. Um, I have my eyes closed usually because I feel, I feel it more. And then I open my eyes and almost all the time, all the time that I open my eyes, when I feel the strong presence, I'm crapping it. You know, I'm like, oh my God, what am I going to see? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I just smile. I give myself mm-hmm. a smile and I'm like, it's okay. You're fine. You're not a, like, I'm not imagining it. You know, it's mm-hmm. not, it's just, of course, we're part of many dimensions. We're embodied in, you know, a physical body in this 3D world, right? It's like our senses are so limited. Our eyes are only limited to the walls around us and our senses are very, very limited. And it's that whole unlimited sense of ourselves, that sixth sense, that beyond this 3D, this other dimension of like, oh, there are unseen beings. Like if you believe Mm -hmm. that there's other life or you can look up at the sky at night and see a star that was hundreds of millions of light years away now Mm -hmm. you gotta take the cues you know it's not Mm -hmm. it's not weird it's just when you're in tune with it you're in tune with it so i would love to give permission to people to not feel weird about that is is isn't that's what the ancestors have taught me this is how they lived Mm -hmm. and so that's how we have to live in order to create that understanding that ecosystem of like this is how we live. This mm-hmm. is how we interact with nature, with being. It's, it's, it's ancient and it's current. So. Sorry, one second. No, I don't know if that was like a, a, a tangible offering, but that was just what I do. No, it was such a tangible offering. I think one thing I'll add to that, if I can, is... Oh. When there's fear, um, we can get really scared of things. And so we might shy away from doing the practice. And something that's helped me is um, phraseology. Like I call upon all honorable ancestors. And I use the word honorable so that I'm not calling upon all of my ancestors because I don't know who they were. (laughs) And I also say like all because like you have had the the difficulty connecting with my heritage. And so, and I feel like, you know, we're so interconnected that I, I like to say all of the honorable ancestors like come and support us, you know, like not just me. And I'd like to connect with you. And through that, I've been able to connect with my ancestors particularly, but I just wanted to offer some phraseology around it if it's helpful. No, I I love that. I I use the same phraseology when I'm invoking it, Mm -hmm. you know, but I call upon all honorable ancestors also because we don't really know our our ancestry goes back a long, long time. We're not going to know every single one. Yeah, you were telling me about mitochondrial Eve. Yeah. (laughs) I call upon mitochondrial Eve too. I'm like, amazing. You're amazing. And uh, who is mitochondrial Eve? So there is, uh, so, you know, we have DNA in every cell 
and uh, chromosomal DNA is typically what's studied in terms of babies and how we recreate and procreate and that lineage is looked back from paternal and maternal lines. A mitochondria also have has DNA mm-hmm. and the DNA in mitochondria has can only be passed down in lineage from female to female. Females are the carriers of this and it so it continues through a female line only. Males cannot I was gonna say something real really dirty. Males cannot ejaculate that. Let's strike that from the record. So males cannot continue that lineage. Females can. And so they studied they I don't know who they are, but they some people studied <laughs> <laughs> you know, the the tracing of uh the DNA, how far back did this go? And they they found that it dated back. I can't remember how many thousand years. It, it could be 10,000. 40. Wasn't it 40? Uh, it's like some either 10,000 or 100,000 year. I'll, I'll have to look that up. And I, I don't want to give people like. No. That's okay. They can look it up too. Yeah, so a lot Google of years my, ago. Yeah, just Google mitochondrial <laughs> Eve. Uh, she, and all women basically were connected to this mm-hmm. woman in Africa called, which they named Eve, not after, mm-hmm. you know, um, not, a, apparently it was not after. Um, Adam and Eve. Yeah. Apparently. Apparently. That's not true. I know. I was like, <laughs> I don't believe that. Then why wouldn't you call her something else? <laughs> I agree. I'm like, what are you talking about? I feel like <laughs> I have the information at hand, but it will take me a moment to get, but, um, yeah, so I'm just feeling. I'm I'm seeing if I can look at that. Oh, so mitochondrial Eve. Um. Re- yeah, so researchers traced this lineage of mitochondrial DNA to one woman who lived in Africa about two hundred thousand years ago. That's amazing. Amazing. Yeah. So there you go. So switching gears a little bit, what, uh, what makes you feel inspired? Um, you, Oh, you inspire me. Uh, this is going to sound so cheesy and basic, but when people are really authentic, (laughs) I feel like we've overused authentic and it's become kind of like this. You know, like in the white wellness world, you just have to be your authentic self. And mm-hmm. I'm like, that's great. But are you really being that? Right. So when somebody is just really, really real and vulnerable and just who they are, mm-hmm. that really inspires me because it's something that has never come easy to me because I've been colonized too, right? So I'm like, I have to act a certain way and be a certain way in order to be approved by society. So I love it when people are just like really real in themselves, like just unapologetically like middle fingering it to all the world. Like I'm going to be who I am and you can love me anyway. Um, like Lamarad Owens. Mm-hmm. It just, he inspires me. Um, just, I am inspired by wisdom. I'm inspired by the dark night sky. Um, I'm inspired by, uh, the little um, 
synchronicities or synchro destinies. Um, that's from Albert, our friend Albert, who says synchro destiny, and it's my favorite thing to say. I'm inspired by those little synchro destinies that remind us that there is an organizing wisdom behind things, and that you know, just just that expansiveness. You know, um, I get a lot of inspiration from what seems like a big nothing to somebody, but it will just be like wow to me. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, like yesterday I went for a walk and the fall leaves were falling off the trees. Like they were raining. And I just thought the whole thing was magic. And then I caught a leaf as it was falling. Like my, I put my hand out and I arrived at this leaf at the right time. And I was just like, wow. wow. Yeah, exactly. I was like, <laughs> wow. <laughs> so yeah, you know, just, just, those moments it could be just a moment and it's inspiration I'm sure there's like a billion things I could say but I can't I mean I know when we stop recording and I think about this question I'm gonna be like oh my god I should have said this I should have said that because there's gonna be so many things so there are a lot of things that inspire me uh but those are the things that are at the forefront of my mind right now Mm. wonderful I guess kind of related. When are you most unapologetically yourself or when are you the most free? When I'm dancing um, by myself. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when I'm dancing alone. <laughs> um, yeah, I feel unapologetically myself. I feel like I am restoring some kind of rhythm or I'm making my rhythm. I feel liberated or when I'm in nature too. Like if I'm by myself on a hike and I'm just like touching the trees or in the woods, you know, I can feel the earth beneath my feet, the crunching sound, all that ASMR that you can think of (laughs) with the crunching of of nature, Um, mountains, water, like, I sit by the river a lot. This is also something that inspires me and where I'm unapologetically myself. I, I go to the, I live by the Potomac river and I feel a deep energy from the, from the river that I connect with. And I sit there often by the river. I'll sit there and cry. I'll sit there and laugh. I'll sit there and make wishes. I'll sit there and like burn my intentions out into the air. So it becomes ether. I'll put stuff in the water as an offering so I feel like I could be my weird self because the water is receiving it and not judging me. It's like, yeah, I'm weird too. Let's be weird together. And I love it. So yeah. And also with you and my kids, like I feel, feel like there are very few people that know me entirely in my entirety. And my, and obviously my nuclear family from, growing up know me like my brothers they still know my idiosyncrasies and I love that because I realize I've had them forever um so you know being around the very few people that I can be myself with I mean and my kids know that very much about me too and I love that I can be myself with them yeah they're the best (laughs) yeah they're right 
With your phone. Best. The best. Oh, you're the best part. <laughs> so, you know, you have all those anti rights. Like I said, I do all the dirty work and you get all the joy. <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> Since speaking of joy, how do you connect to joy? <laughs> That's the next question. I mean, these questions are very like interconnected and for me, right. And maybe they are for many people, maybe they aren't right. But for me, joy is like in being unapologetically myself and connecting with my inner child. Like that's so much joy for me (laughs) Mm because I had a really hard childhood. So I get to relive that. I didn't even realize until I was having this conversation with you the other day that my God, my kids have healed me because I got to be a kid again with them. Yeah. Even though I'm very much a mom and I'm like, I can put my mom hat on, meaning that when they need to be schooled about something, I will do that. But I get to be my many selves. Maybe it's not even the kids. Maybe it's just this phase in my life that I get to be my future self and my past self, my inner child, and just me now all at the same time. And like, it just works in tandem. Like I'm going through those motions. So that brings a lot of joy to me. Is just me being me is that liberation is me challenging the norms and then having the courage to be like, okay, I am going to not abide by this. This is not me. I'm okay being me. And that gives me joy. I'm happy and secure in myself in a way I never have been. It's like, Mm. I don't need to be in a relationship or have somebody validate me to tell me something about myself that I don't already know. It's like, I finally got to the point where I feel secure in myself and I could see the dynamics that I've lived through, even with friendships. You know, I've had a lot of friendships go awry that, again, nothing's absolute. They've brought me so much joy right? I find so much joy in friendship. I love it. But nothing's absolute. We're all human. So I've had to let go of friendships and friends have let go of me. And I've had to let go of relationships. But you know what? I'm happier than I ever have been. I'm like, on the micro level, I have joy, like it's highly available to me. And then obviously comedy brings me joy. (laughs) Like Dan Levy, brings me joy mm-hmm. um creating with you brings me joy yeah I mean I, I love creating I, with you brings me joy too it's it's total joy mm-hmm. it's like when we're on zoom because you know pandemic exactly so we're on zoom like everybody else in the world <laughs> and we are just I mean we spend so much time laughing mm-hmm. and you know, like making fun of myself brings me joy, like not taking myself so seriously. It's like, well, yeah, I'm going to say something stupid. Mm-hmm. And I, I just, I like owning that about myself. Um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of joy, good food. I'm such a foodie. I'm a food ho. Like I am like, where's the food? I'm hungry. Mm-hmm. And exercise too, like dance and like movement running. I love running my piriformis syndrome. (laughs) Damn piriformis syndrome, my spasming butt cheek. (laughs) Damn you. (laughs) Um, 
yeah, running. I was a runner when I was a kid too. So that's a lot of joy. I'm like Phoebe when I run, you know, that scene mm-hmm. of friends. I'm not really, I'm very much not like that, but <laughs> inside I am, you know, I feel that joy. Yeah. I feel like, oh, my, my kids, like, I, I don't mean to sound like cliche mom. My kids, oh, my babies. I'm so all for childless women. Like, go you. Like, you did it great. But motherhood, we can only live by what we what we know and what our life experience is. And totally. some people are going to have that drive and other people won't. And I don't know why we just can't be okay with that and why childless women are made to feel like there's something wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with you. You're great. You're awesome. Like, be your creative badass selves that are wondrous and live life to your fullest you don't need children to make you happy I know that because my children aren't the reason I'm happy but they they do provide joy for me because they see just seeing life through their eyes seeing the reflection of me (laughs) like my daughter Hannah took a picture of me the other day and it's so dumb and it just captures me perfectly and it's like that is joy like she captured my joy and it was her joy to do it so yeah I mean I'm feeling very uh very full just talking about joy this is bringing me joy I'm so happy and your children as I will reiterate are fucking amazing so of course they bring joy uh where do you feel safe I feel safe with the very few people with whom I can be radically open with. Mm -hmm. It is a level of safety that is held where people are not asking me to be a certain way for them, that I get to be myself without needing to be a certain way in order to placate them or make them feel like I need, I need to show up for them entirely because we all have capacities. And so I get to be human, my human self and still be held and still be loved. And you know, that, that makes me feel very safe because I feel like I would do that for humans, the humans in my life that I love. I will not, even if I get hurt, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to stop loving and holding space because we go through just all periods of emotions together and things are hard. So I feel safest when I'm just in a really equitable relationship and that, and I don't mean, you know, because relationship has been so co-opted as meaning like the romantic relationship, just any relationship, the parent-child friendship, sibling, you know, I have a great relationship with one of my brothers. I feel very safe and held there. Hi, Faz. Hi, Faz. <laughs> um, yeah. And uh, yeah, so I have some just very few, like I can count them on one hand, few, Mm. you know, so that's my safest. And when I'm by myself, because nothing's triggering me, nobody's pissing me off. Mm -hmm. That's powerful. (laughs) Yeah, I feel really safe when I'm by myself. 
And I, I think that's such an important thing to share because there's so many people who don't feel safe when they're by themselves. It's very true. There are lots of people that don't feel safe when they're by themselves. I actually used to be that person. Mm. I lived alone. I remember not feeling safe, but I love my alone time. It's so sacred to me. And I need a lot of it. But as the years went by, I just, I feel safe alone. And it, it took me a long time to get there, but I got there. Mm-hmm. Would you like to share something that really helped you in that, along that journey? That's okay if you don't. I don't, I don't know how to articulate it or like bring it from the ether Mm-hmm. It was a very ethereal kind of experience. It was, it was more sh- a slow shift into it, a slow easing into it, and there were, it was multi-dimensional. It wasn't just this one like thing that I did that made me comfortable. It was many things. A lot of my um, deep fear and insecurity of being alone started from childhood. And, you know, I was alone, I would be taken away and abused, or I was alone and I would feel weird shit like presence. And I was like, I don't know what the hell's going on. Um, yeah, so it, there's, there are so many factors. I don't know how to, to give an offering to how that helped. Um, I, I think the practice, just being very, very based and embodied and, all that decolonizing work, all that deepening, just allowed it for a, a, a very deep exhale. Like, oh, there's less fear because there's more trust and there's more groundedness and there's more understanding. And I'm not as afraid of like presence or ancestors or I feel held and supported. So when I'm by myself, I can access support even if there's no human to do it around me. I'm like, well, the earth is. So I think those things attributed to it beautiful so beautiful what is home to you and what does home mean to you i've not thought about that for a long time This is where the magic is. Mm. Home is fluid for me in a way. But the constant is, I think, my body. I feel like I've definitely made and sensed myself at home in my body. My home has changed a lot in my life. Um, I've lived in different countries, similar to you, you've lived in far more, but, um, I've lived in several countries and traveled and moving from home to home. Anytime I felt unrooted, it was because I wasn't embodied. Every time I've been, every time I've been at peace with myself, even if my home environment isn't what I want it to be. I feel at home. I feel a sense of release, a sense of acceptance, a sense of 
embrace a you know a, a kindness to myself that hasn't always been there because it's so easy to get tripped up by the surface things in the body. I should look a certain way. My body needs to fit a certain mold and model, which is all BS and we know it. But it's not that kind of body I'm talking about. It's like that really deep, like deep, deep embodied feeling. Mm-hmm. And then I feel at home wherever I can be unapologetically myself. So any space or home that I go to where I could just you know, just easily exhale. Like that feels at home. Again, very few homes I can do that in. And my parents' home is one of them, surprisingly so. And they don't live in my childhood home. I didn't grow up there. I have no memories there. But every time I go and see my parents, it just feels like I'm at home. So, yeah, home... That's where I mean, like, there's a fluidity. Like, it can be mm-hmm. with, it could be in, in different circumstances, so. Yeah, it's kind of like where you feel safe also. Yeah, exactly. Where do you feel challenged? Dude, everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> everywhere. I feel challenged daily. I never, I'm a, as you are, as many of us are, but I am. I'm going to own myself here, right? Good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm endlessly curious. I just want to know all about everything. I take, you know this about me. I take like a billion courses. I'm like, oh my God, I want to know about it. And sign me up. <laughs> and I, I feel challenged to grow all the time because I don't want to I hold myself and I guess humanity to high standards, knowing that we have to evolve. And that includes me, that I'm not going to stay the same, that maybe parts of my essence might be the same, like my curiosity and your silliness, my silliness and my love of magic and, you know, aspects. But, you know, if we're doing it right, I feel like we're evolving and we're growing and So I feel challenged because I'll put that challenge on myself. I will read different books. I will unlearn, right? Even in the work of anti-racism and anti-oppression, it's like constantly dismantling that. And that's like the mindfulness work too. It's like, what is this blind spot? It's always like figuring out that blind spot, you know? So I remember when I was doing my mindfulness teacher training, and there's this great teacher called Saki Santorelli that brought up the blind spot. And he was like, when you come in and you to, to like a space where you're, because obviously it was contextually to do with instructing mindfulness. And he was like, you have to think of your blind spots, like mind's likability, but you can't come into the space wanting to be liked because you're asking for something in that interaction. It's just an energetic, like, pull like I want you to like me so then it completely shifts how you act and how you are and how you hold space for people Mm -hmm. and it hit 
every chord, not just of me, but pretty much everybody, almost everybody in the class shared that that was the same blind spot because we tend to think of our blind spots as our shadow side, but they're different things. Like, yeah, we have that dark side, but we also have this like need to be liked or loved or seen. And that can like basically overcoat and obviously struggling using actual words, (laughs) you know, it becomes like, basically in everything shit i keep hitting my mic it's okay it it's it it becomes a part of everything every interaction and um and so yeah what was the question again where do you feel challenged (laughs) like why am i talking about this (laughs) yeah i feel challenged in that like that inner work is challenging i i'm just like I don't think it's right to stay in our comfort zone. So every time I'm too comfortable, I'm like, bitch, get the hell out. Like, wake up. <laughs> wake up, you know? Mm-hmm. So what's the point if we're not constantly awakening to to more? You know, there's no stopping point. It's infinite. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I love it. And I, I just, I love it so much. Shukran. <laughs> uh what makes you belly laugh oh my goodness I'm an easy laugher yeah like you know I laugh very easily but belly laugh um I mean probably just simple silly humor like the innocent humor that isn't meant to be funny it just makes you laugh so hard. It just, uh, example, Adam is not a singer. Adam is my 10-year-old son. He's not a singer, but he opera sings when he's in the bathroom. Like just when he's getting ready, he wakes up and he starts launching into some deep Pavarotti tones. <laughs> it's hysterical. It makes me belly laugh. I walk into his bathroom like, almost in tears, just like unable to breathe. And then he bursts out laughing because he's like, what is this? Why are you laughing? And he can't stop laughing because I'm laughing. And oh. it's just a whole laughing fest <laughs> because, because it's, it's funny. Amazing. Adam is definitely somebody who will make you belly laugh no matter what. Yeah, he's he's pretty funny. Yeah. He really is. He's definitely like the comedian of the fam. For sure. He definitely, definitely is. Okay, and we're at the last question. What is one of the most satisfying or gratifying things in life? Or not, it doesn't have to be a thing. It can be anything. Peanut butter. (laughs) (laughs) Bananas and peanut butter. It's like very gratifying. You're very satisfying to me. It's the snack I most love. Um, I'm sure I'll regret that as my answer. (laughs) (laughs) Why? It's it's, a great answer. You eat it every single day. I'm going to get off her. I do eat it every single day and I love it in packs. My dog is like at my feet looking at me like greedy. 
bitch. Like, give me some peanut butter. And then I'll, like, drop, like, a tiny bit. I'm like, this is all mine. More for me. Okay? You get some, I get more. Um, yeah, I think food will always be the first thing I think of with that question. Um, I think food and... I think all those very sense pleasures, you know, food and sex and all those like just pleasures of the flesh <laughs> um, are the ones that we access the quickest, you know, mm-hmm. like that's what's satisfying and gratifying to me. Um, but there's other things too, you know, like I'm very, very much about my clean space so cleaning is very satisfying and gratifying to me. I love it. I love a clean sink. I love cleaning the kitchen. I do not like clutter. That is, I say this and I'm looking at my desk, which is cluttered AF, but whatever. Nothing's absolute, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, that's also very satisfying and gratifying to me. Um, a really hard workout. Just like, I think you said that. I think that was one of your answers. I was. I don't remember. I think so. I'm saying it. I'm like, then I'm like, do I sound like I'm copying you? But whatever. We're like the same human. Um, <laughs> except you're way cooler. That's not true. It's what, what did we say at the beginning of this? No shame. That's not shame. That's just no truth. shame. Shame. <laughs> don't take it as shame. It's just the fucking truth. Okay. Anyway, so nine. Whatever German for yes is. <laughs> I don't know, actually. Neither do I. I'm like, nine. <laughs> yes. I know Danke and Bitter and I nine, know. and that's it. I'm like, why don't I did German for a little bit? I can't believe I don't remember. I'll just say we. We said you. Yeah, a really hard workout. Like, just a really hard workout where I'm drenched in sweat. That makes me feel very, very gratified. Um. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. And a, and a good meal, just like a good nourishing meal and cooking, mm-hmm. cooking mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. So I'll just add a question real quick. Like, how do you feel? How do you feel after doing this? I feel very, um, I thought I'd feel very raw to be honest mm. with you. So I'm going to go through what I think I would, I assumed or projected sure. out that I'd feel. I didn't vision that I'd feel this way, but I was like, I think I'm going to feel very raw and like have some kind of vulnerability hangover and go into some shame cycle that I overshed. And maybe I will, <laughs> maybe <laughs> I'll still do that. But at this present moment, I feel pretty good. Like my body's feeling warm. Um, I'm feeling happy, you know, I, you know, I'm a pretty silly person, which I think a lot of people don't know about me. They just assume, ah, people love to make assumptions about one another, right? We all do. We look at somebody and we hear them and we think that this, that, and the other, and people think I'm more serious than I am. I'm like, I'm not. And just to that point really quickly, I don't know why this is coming up, but my daughter, Hannah, said this to me she was like you know mom people assume that I'm a mean girl because of the Mm. way I look and I was like oh my god that was my life growing up people assumed I was mean 
based on how I looked. We need to do a whole episode on unpacking that. It's just <laughs> like, what? why? I'm not mean. I'm a mush ball. And like, I guess, you know, I could be pretty aloof. That's just an Aquarius thing. I go into my hole a lot, but I don't I'm not like mean. And Hannah's not mean. She's so sweet. Mm-hmm. She's just kind and sweet and funny. So there's a lot of silliness in me that I, um, I just kind of, I'm like, let, let that be known, you know? Mm-hmm. I'm tired of people thinking I'm so serious and like, oh, there's the mindfulness person. Like, I'm like a student of that. Just because I have a certificate doesn't mean anything. I am still a human and very human. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I definitely get that on the mindfulness side too a lot. People are like, you're very serious. And I'm like, I'm literally so silly all the time. <laughs> I am currently, for everyone who wants to know, (laughs) wearing a scarf that is quite tight around my head, so I look kind of like a teddy bear. (laughs) Oh my god, it's the best. It's literally the best. Just having, you don't understand, like, five times during this interview, you were like looking down at the question and I was laughing in my head. Because I'm like, what the fuck are you wearing? It's hysterical. Uh, it's great. I think that silliness is like what's going to um, bring humanity together. <laughs> For real. Maybe not. Some people are silly and not aware. The... No, it's true. I was yeah. being facetious. Oh, I know. I know. I just was like, oh, my God, wait, because I could go through people that I was like. Oh. All these people would not be okay with it. Yeah. <laughs> but definitely, I think the mindfulness thing is like if you're interested in meditation and mindfulness, if you have a practice, you must be like have a stick up your ass or something. <laughs> it's like, mm, that's exactly what happens when I meditate. I stick a wooden stick up my butthole. <laughs> It makes me sit straight. Yeah, that's why my back is straight, uptight, but not upright, but not uptight. Yeah, exactly. No, we're just human. We're like, that practice is wisdom based and it informs the best kind of silliness. Mm -hmm. It's like, great, now I can be silly and it's so much more fun. So, yeah, I think that that's a misnomer. Is that the right word? A misnomer? I don't know, because that's like for something, it doesn't matter. Oh, yeah, that's the right that. word. <laughs> cut, that. cut that part out. People understand, it doesn't matter. It's a very American word to me, even though it's an English word, like English language. I'm looking oh, really, it. misnomer? I mean, I never, I never hear British people say it. So thank you for doing this, and thanks for being vulnerable and sharing and being your your true self on here. I am so proud of you. And I'm so happy that other people get to know you a little bit more and get to see you and get to like, experience what it's like to know Gia, because it's a really special experience. Thank you for being one of the very few people that share that belief. It's <laughs> <laughs> <is> not true. <laughs> I just had to take the piss, okay? Just let me let me do it. Let me do it. It was, it was an actual very it was very joyous 
I'm taken aback by how much fun this was. And I hope that our future guests doing this feel a similar sense of exuberance. Yeah, I hope so too. I'm really excited to, to have like our, our people come on here and be interviewed. Yeah, me too. Thank you so much for just like creating this and, um, and finally interviewing me. And finally interviewing you after five years. Amazing. I know. So special. I love you. I love you too. Bye G. Bye Z. Thanks for listening. And if you want to be interviewed in an IMU episode, please feel free to contact us uh, through our Instagram page. Next week, we will continue our unfiltered series with our new guest, Kyneth Merchant, who is very vocal on TikTok and speaks up on topics that are taboo in South Asian culture. See you there. Relatively Nobody is an independent podcast. You can connect with us on Instagram at Relatively Nobody, on Twitter at Relatively Pod, or feel free to email us at relativelynobody at gmail.com.